all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. He's God in the flesh. Jesus is God. That verse proves Jesus is Almighty God. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. <clears throat> Christianity is all about Jesus Christ and who He really is. For the last 2,000 years, people have been coming up with all kinds of ideas, different ideas of who they think or thought Jesus Christ is or was. A few years ago now, there was a popular book that turned into a movie entitled The Da Vinci Code. How many know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. The Da Vinci Code. Just curious, how many have never heard of the book or movie The Da Vinci Code? You've never heard of it? Raise your hand. Well, okay. Hardly anyone. Everyone has heard about it. And the movie, the book and movie is all about it's a bold claim is what it is. They claim that Jesus Christ was a human being that married a woman named Mary Magdalene. Together they had a child and the descendants of that child are in the world today. And I want you to know the Da Vinci Code is absolutely false. Absolutely false. But it's just one more opinion that what people have to, of toward Jesus. Some people believe Jesus was nothing more than a a human being, that's it. Others believe that he was a teacher or some a freedom fighter. Some people think that Jesus was a deceiver, a human deceiver claiming to be something that he never was. And then of course there are those that believe that Jesus was just a human upon which divinity came and left while he was on the cross. Otherwise he was just a human being. Other people say that Jesus was never a human being at all, but rather he was an angel from heaven. Other people say that Jesus never even existed. And still others say that Jesus Christ was none other but God come in the flesh. Now why should we care who Jesus is? I'll tell you why. Because it makes all the difference in the world what we believe about Jesus Christ. Either he is or he isn't who he claimed to be and either the Bible is right or wrong in what it says about Jesus so still you say what's the big deal the big deal is this folks what we believe about Jesus Christ has a direct effect upon our eternal salvation life only lasts for a few years and then it's over and then eternity begins where will you be in eternity? That's where Jesus Christ comes in. And what you believe about him makes all the difference in the world. This is the Christmas season. So beginning today, I want to start a three-part series entitled, Who is Jesus Christ? Let's begin with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're here by faith. And I think most all of us have a good idea who Jesus is. And yet this is so important a subject. It is rock solid bottom foundational faith. It is so incredibly important 
that we all understand who Jesus is. So please give us understanding today. We ask, Father, that if there be anyone here today or perhaps watching online who has not yet realized that Jesus is a Savior to save us from sin and has not yet personally repented of their sin and personally received Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior, that today would be that day. Glorify yourself, Father, in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You know, in the last few years, there's been a popular TV program called Undercover Boss. Undercover Boss. How many have seen Undercover Boss? That's, uh, well, over half of us. Well, the, um, for those who aren't sure what Undercover Boss is all about, it's um, an interesting idea where they approach a wealthy business owner. And the guy will be fabulously wealthy and he'll own this big business with offices all across the country. And they'll, they'll set up this deal with him. He puts on a disguise and then he'll go and start working incognito for one of his businesses, one of his branch offices. And he'll just walk in like a nobody. And I've seen a couple of these shows and they're quite entertaining. And the disguise that the boss puts on is usually pretty good. You would not tell it's the same guy. And so he walks in and if he's got a job there. And he'll be there for a few days, a week or whatever it is. And during that time, he'll get to see what's happening in his branch office. He'll get to interact with the employees. He'll find out what his, his employees are up to and what they're doing and what's really happening there uh, in the business. And then at the end of the show, then what he does is he removes his disguise and everyone's in shock, you know, as to what, what, you're the owner? And then he'll sit down with the employees and the good employees, he'll give bonuses to or some help or reward or accolades or something. The bad employees, he will rebuke them and sometimes fire them, kick them out the door or something like that. But uh, it's a very entertaining little show. And I got thinking that Jesus Christ was something like an undercover boss. He was something like that. The Bible says concerning Jesus, He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. That means that the Jewish nation rejected Jesus as their king. But I want you to know one day in the future, hasn't happened yet, it will happen. One day in the future, the Jews will gladly receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah, their Savior, their Lord and their King. Zechariah 12.10 says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. That's the crucifixion. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and they shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. That hasn't happened yet. It will happen one day. Uh, who, who, who is this Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, it all comes down, folks, to the evidence we choose to believe. We don't have Jesus here physically in bodily form that we could question, but there's evidence. 
What evidence are we going to believe? You see, people come up with ideas and thoughts. And that acts as an evidence. But what is the one main source of evidence we have concerning Jesus? The one main source is the Bible. So your choice gets down to basically one of two. You can either believe what people are saying about Jesus, or you can believe what the Bible says about Jesus. Sometimes you get a mixture of the two, right? But it's essentially, you can believe the word of man, or you can believe the word of God. It's up to you which one you're going to believe. Personally, I chose the Bible. And that has made all the exciting difference in my life. Now look please at John chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, you see that? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now the question is, who is this Word? If you go down to verse 14, it tells us, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. It's very clear that Jesus is called the Word. And in verse 1, if you look at it again, the, the last four words, the Word was God. Jesus is called God. My sermon today is, Who is Jesus Christ? The subtitle of my sermon, He is the Almighty Creator God. That is the subtitle of my sermon today. Now in verse number 3, it says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That means that everything that was made was made by Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus is God, verse 1. Verse 3, He is the Creator of all things. That means that in Genesis chapter 1, when you read the words, In the beginning, God created... That was Jesus. I'm going to prove that to you today. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That verse is so strong, that Word is so powerful, that the false religion called the Jehovah's Witnesses, they had to change that verse in their Bible. They came up with their own version of the Bible back in the 1950s. And they changed those words. And they have, their Bible reads, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They put in the little A in there, like as if He was one of many. What you believe about Jesus Christ makes or breaks you. It makes or breaks any religion. You want to find out what a particular religious group believes about Jesus Christ. You ask them two questions. Question number one, who is Jesus Christ? And they'll give you an answer. Question number two, what do you mean by that? You ask the Jehovah's Witnesses, who is Jesus Christ? They would tell you, well, he was a God. What do you mean by that? Well, he was brother with Satan. Satan and Jesus were brothers. Years ago, up in heaven, you know, and then, of course, one went bad, the other went good. That's what they believe. You talk to the Mormons, who is Jesus Christ? Oh, he is God. What, do you, what does that mean? Well, Jesus became a God, just like you and I can become a God. That's what the Mormons teach. 
And that's why these two in particular are false religions. Because they deny who Jesus really is. It's very important for us to know that. <clears throat> By the way, they are denying us too. Both of these groups, they deny each other. Each of these groups I've just mentioned, they both believe that they and they only hold the truth and everyone else is in error. It's almost comical to get a Mormon talking about a Jehovah Witness or a Jehovah Witness talking about a Mormon. They're at each other's throat. Anyhow, that's just been my experience to notice that. Now I want you to turn the page in John and go to chapter 5. I want to show you that the Jews of Jesus' day understood what Jesus was saying about himself because Jesus was telling them that he was God. In John chapter 5, uh, we have in verse 17, But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. You say, why did the Jews want to kill Jesus? Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Underline that in your Bible. The Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus came and was presenting himself as their Messiah and God in the flesh. So here we can see the Jews understood that Jesus was equating himself with God. If you turn to chapter 10, you'll see it again. Chapter 10 and verse number 30. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Now, by the way, I have spoken to a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses over the last 40 years. And I would bring up verses like that, where Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And they answer me all the same. They say, oh no, what he means is one in purpose. He's one in purpose with the Father. Well, the way I respond to that is so were the Jews. The Jews felt that they were one in purpose with the Father also. So, if that's what Jesus was meaning, then why did the Jews pick up stones to stone him when they themselves also thought that they were one in purpose? You see, the truth is, that's not what Jesus was saying, one in purpose. He was saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's like the undercover boss. The employees say, who owns this joint anyhow? Who's the boss of this crazy company? And this unlikely looking employee stands up and says, well, I and the boss are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the boss. And that's exactly what Jesus meant. He was saying that he was God. So that's why in the next verse, verse 31, the Jews took up stones to stone him. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father, for which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. 
You see, the Jews understood that Jesus was saying, I am God. That's what they understood, and that's why they wanted to kill him. If you turn, please, to chapter number 20 of John, chapter number 20, we have the wonderful, glorious resurrection of God in the flesh, named Jesus. John chapter 20, he appeared to the disciples, but one of the disciples wasn't there that particular Sunday evening. What was his name? Thomas. Thomas. You know, Thomas wasn't there Sunday night church. wonder where he was. Don't know. But he was there the next week. He was there the next week. And so Jesus said, Thomas, verse 27, Reach hither thy finger, you know, behold my hands. Verse 20, well, at the end of verse 27, Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, Get your pen ready, folks. Underline these words. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. If Jesus was not God, it would have been the height of blasphemy to receive that and to just let Thomas think that he was God. You know, after church, I'll be shaking a bunch of hands. If anyone here were to come up to me and bow their head and say to me, Pastor White, my Lord and my God. And some of you were standing there and you heard that. Right away you'd wonder, what's the pastor going to do? What's he going to say? And would you be shocked with disbelief if I said, arise from your feet, my son? Wouldn't, wouldn't you die a thousand deaths? The pastor thinks he's God. If Jesus had not have corrected Thomas, hmm? if Jesus was only a man, it would have been the height of blasphemy. But Jesus received. Why? Because Jesus is God. He's the undercover boss. He is the owner. His word is final. He is God of very God. He is creator God. Thomas was no dummy. The Apostle Thomas recognized that Jesus Christ is God. Now, aside from these four references here in the book of John, are there any other verses, is there any other proof in the Bible that might teach that Jesus is Almighty God? Well, the answer is yes. And I'd like you to follow me now on a little Bible study. I'm going to take you on a little Bible study that will prove to you that Jesus is God Almighty. Who is Jesus Christ? He is God Almighty, the Creator God. Point number one. I want you to observe with me that Jesus has the three main qualities of being God Almighty. You say, what are, what are those three qualities? Well, they're very simple. Number one is omnipotence. You have all power. There is no power you do not have. You have all power. Number two, there is omnipresence. You are everywhere all at the same time. Number three, there is omniscience. You know everything there is to know. 
Now, if anyone possesses those three qualities, guess what? They're God. Jesus possesses those three qualities. Turn back to the Gospel of Matthew. Now, I am just giving you just a couple of Bible verses and references that will prove these points. But I want you to see them with your eyes. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18. Folks, would you read the verse out loud with me, please? Verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Is there any power in heaven that Jesus does not have? Yes or no? No. The answer is no. Is there any power in earth that Jesus does not have? Yes or no? No. Jesus has all power. That is one of the qualities of divinity is omnipotence. In verse number 20, Jesus, it says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now read the next words out loud with me. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The first thing I want to point out is the word always. There's no S on the end. Always means all along the way, all along the path of life, I'll be with you. Always means at all times. Here it's all way. The King James Bible makes that, dis makes that distinction. Modern Bibles don't. The King James Bible does. It's very accurate. So Jesus is saying, lo, I am with you all way. How could Jesus possibly do that? Because one went this way, one went that way, one went the other way. How could Jesus be with them all way, each and every one? Well, the answer is because he's omnipresent. He has the power to be everywhere he wants to be. And here, he has the power to be omnipresent. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, you needn't turn there, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is the door of your heart. How can Jesus stand at the heart's door of people here in Surrey and the heart's door of people in uh, Bangladesh at the same time? How can he be all of these places knocking on heart's door? And the answer is very simple, because he's omnipresent. Um, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul writes that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. How can Jesus be in my heart and your heart at the same time? The answer is, he's omnipresent. You might say, well, I don't understand omnipresence. Well, good for you. Join the club. There's a few things us weak mortal humans can't seem to get our, our, our minds around. There are things that only God can do. God can do things we can't. You look down at an earthworm or a snail or, or maybe a, a, a cockroach or something and try to explain mathematics to them. Now, little, uh, little inchworm, you look up at me, and if you have one and you have another one, guess what? You now have two. Do you understand that? The worm won't understand. He doesn't have the mental capacity. The worm understands certain things. The cockroach understands certain things. But there's a lot they don't understand. Listen, would you give God the credit that he knows a few things you don't? That he can do a few things you can't? That's because he's God. 
That's why we call him God. Jesus is God because he possesses all power and because he is everywhere at once, but also he knows everything. Now I'd like you to see this. Turn to the right to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians after Corinthians, you get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2. Now here Paul is talking about Jesus, verse number 3, Paul writes about Jesus, in whom, that's in Jesus, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not some of them, all of them. That's omniscience. The Lord Jesus knows everything there is to know. He knows all about the, the, the 2023 Tesla cars as they're coming off the assembly line. The Lord Jesus knows everything there is to know about everything. There is nothing he does not know. And by the way, if you ever need wisdom on something, go to him because he knows all about it. He'll gladly give you wisdom. Look at chapter 2 and verse 9. This verse is so powerful that teaches that God and Jesus are one and the same. It is so powerful that our Jehovah Witness friends had to change it in their Bibles. So in verse 9, read it out loud with me. Folks watching at home, you, you read it out loud too. Let's go. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. He's God in the flesh. Jesus is God. That verse proves Jesus is Almighty God. And that verse was so threatening to the Jehovah Witness doctrine that they had to change it. And in their Bible, it says that all the qualities of God dwell in him. All the qualities of God. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Our New Testament is translated from a Greek text. And the Greek word doesn't mean quality. It means fullness. All of the fullness of God in Jesus is found. Jesus is God Almighty. I want you to see here, first and foremost, in our Bible study, that Jesus possesses all three of the qualities of divinity, of Godhead. He is all-powerful. He is everywhere. And He knows all things. And Jesus has them. But let's quickly move along in our Bible study today. Secondly, let's observe that Jehovah and Jesus share the same titles. Now there may be someone who does not know who Jehovah is. Jehovah is the Old Testament name of God. It's a sacred name. And to the, uh, to the Jews, they will not say the name Jehovah. It's too sacred. They'll say uh, the name Hasham. That's how they do it in, in Hebrew. The name Hasham. Um, some will use the... Uh, Tetragrammaton, um, Yahweh. They'll take the, the letters and they'll just say Yahweh. In the King James Bible, what the translators did when they came upon the name Jehovah, which is used something like 1,400 times in the Old Testament, they will write capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And that is representative of Jehovah. There's a couple of exceptions, but we don't have time to explain that. But for 99% of the time, 
when you see Lord in the Old Testament with all caps, that's Jehovah. And I want you to see this today. Turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. That's to the right-hand side of the book of Psalms. Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. You'll find Isaiah. By the way, you would be wise to learn the books of the Bible. So you don't have to keep going to the index in the front. Where is this book of hesitations? Where to go? Has anyone seen it? You know where to go. What I used to do, listen, when I became a Christian back in 1975, I wanted to know the Bible. And I would sit in church and the pastor would say, now let's turn to the book of Philippians. And then he'd say, now let's turn to the book of Exodus. Then he'd say, now let's go to the book of Psalms. And by the time I would get to the, the book of Psalms, he's already done. And he's already moved on now to the, the book of uh, Jude or something. You know, and I'm always behind. So I learned a secret. You know, if you were to find the book of Psalms, you'll find it's approximately in the middle of your Bible. And there we go, there's all of the Psalms. What I did was I, I took those pages. Can you see this? Can the camera zoom in on this at all? I took the pages of the book of Psalms and I took a highlighter or a magic marker and I would put a mark about an inch long from the top down. So whenever I saw, you know, when you close it up, right away you'd see that little red mark, that Psalms. So then I started learning. Oh, by the way, I did the same thing with Matthew. I finally found Matthew and I did the same thing with Matthew. So now I knew where the New Testament began. And I see where Psalms are. Then I just had to learn the book of Leviticus. Is it on the left-hand side or the right-hand side of Psalms? And it didn't take long before I learned, oh, it's on the left-hand side. And that little trick saved me a lot of time. Of course, you could always get a thumb index Bible. Those ones have little thumb indexes along here. So, you know, let's see, Leviticus, uh, uh, Isaiah. Uh, there we go. And you flip it open like that. So you could do it that way too. I suppose that is fine. So where are we? Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. Now I told you all caps on Lord means Jehovah. And I want you to look at verse number 6. Isaiah 44 verse 6. Thus saith the Lord. There's your caps. So it's Jehovah. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel. We're talking God and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. Well, that's good to know. The Bible teaches there is one God eternally existent in three persons. It's called the Trinity. Don't try to fully understand it. God has revealed it to us. We take it by faith. There are some things in life you're just going to have to believe by faith. That's just the bottom line. This is one of them. But notice that we have a king and we have a redeemer. I suggest to you there's the father and son right there. But notice here, I am the first and I am the last. Almighty God in the Old Testament, Jehovah said, I am the first and I am the last. You got that? Now I want you to go to the book of Revelation. And don't say, where's the book of Revelation? Don't say that. It's there somewhere. Chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. 
Revelation chapter 1, verse number 8. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. And he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. You see what Jesus is saying about himself? He's saying exactly what Jehovah said about himself. Look at verse 11. Uh, here he is again saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. There's Jesus Christ claiming the same title to himself that Jehovah claimed in the Old Testament. Look at verse number uh, 17, is it? Yes. And then when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. There's Jesus Christ taking the same title that Jehovah took in the Old Testament. You know what that means? Jesus and Jehovah are the same. They are the same God. That's what this Bible is teaching us. When the Apostle Paul was saved, it was Jesus Christ who spoke to him there on the road to Damascus. You know that. He said to Paul these words. He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And then Jesus commissioned Paul at that time. Later, Paul wrote, later in his life, Paul wrote to Titus. And he said these words concerning Jesus, but hath in due time manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Paul identified the Savior as God. Listen, Jehovah referred to himself as a Savior. He referred to himself as the first and the last. Jehovah and Jesus share the same title. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43 verse 3. He said, I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Jesus and Jehovah share the same titles. The first and the last. The Savior. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, there's a prophecy about Jesus. And in it, Jesus and Jehovah share even more titles. Let me read it for you. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. See that? The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. More titles that Jesus and Jehovah share. Alright, quickly we have to move along. Thirdly, we observe that Jehovah and Jesus share the same glory. The same glory. Now, I, I want you to pay attention to this one because this will blow you out of the water. Go back to the book of Isaiah. In fact, why don't you uh, put a little marker there. I think we're going to go there at, at least one more time. So, Isaiah, only this time we're going to go to chapter 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. This is the famous story. Um, it happened to Isaiah, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord <coughs> sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. One cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
Now there's three holies. There's an indication of the Trinity. Lord is all caps. There's Jehovah. The, earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Uh, then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, capital K on the King. He's saying, I've seen God, I'm in trouble. I'm a sinful man, I got unclean lips. I say things sometimes I shouldn't say. Verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I, now watch carefully, pay attention. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who, sh who will go for us? That again, indication of the Trinity. Then said I, that's Isaiah, Here am I, send me. And he, that's God, said, Go and tell this people, it's a reference to the Jews, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. You get the idea? Isaiah is in the presence of Jehovah Almighty God, and he sees his glory, and he hears him say, this is what I want done. Now, keep your finger there and turn to the Gospel of John. Go back to John and chapter number 12. And what you're about to see should raise your eyebrows. In John chapter 12, and let's see, we'll start at verse number 37. But though he, that's Jesus, had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah or Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. Are you following the story so far? It's right out of Isaiah 6, isn't it? Now watch, verse 41. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. That's when Isaiah saw Jesus' glory is right there. We have to move on. We got one more point, so I don't want to dwell any longer on that. But finally, I want us to observe that God and Jesus are equally worshipped. Now go back to Isaiah 45, if you wouldn't mind, please. Isaiah 45, and verse 22 Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. You might want to underline those words in your Bible. Those are good words. 
for I am God and there is none else. Verse 23, I have sworn by myself, my word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Now turn to the New Testament, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 10 and verse 11. I'd like you to read it out loud with me, please. Philippians 2, 10 and 11. Folks watching online, you read with us. Here we go. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You have God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God said there was none else beside me. And he's saying to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. And here in the New Testament, we have Jesus as the name of God. You see, both Jehovah and Jesus will be equally worshipped. You know, as you read through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that many people came and fell at Jesus' feet and worshipped him. Why? Why did they do that? Because they recognized the undercover boss. They recognized that Jesus is Almighty God. And they fell at his feet and worshipped him. And that's what we do when we come into presence of God. You know, our charismatic friends, when they claim to be, you know, having a presence with God, they all fall on their back. Have you noticed that? The charismatics and Pentecostals, they all love to fall on their back. But you go into the Bible and you start looking at the people who came into the presence of God the people who loved God, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, when they came into the presence of God, they fell on their face before Him. You go to the New Testament, and you'll find the only time where people fell on their back was when the cutthroats came to arrest Jesus in the garden. With swords and staves, armed guards, they came. And they came right up to Him. And Jesus said, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And they all fell on their back. All of the unsaved cutthroats fell on their back. Well, what are these Pentecostals and Charismatics doing falling on their back? Swooning and falling backwards. When if they were truly in the presence of Almighty God, they'd fall on their face before him. When you have time, check it out in the book of Revelation. When the saints and angels came into the presence, they'd fall on their face before the Lord. That's what you do when you come into the presence of God, is we worship Him. Today, do you understand who Jesus Christ really is? Can you see it? Because it makes all the difference in the world. 
<coughs> I saw a little video, 10 seconds long, on Instagram. A man decided he would disguise himself to see if his dog would recognize him. And so he put on um, a false face, kind of a bald head, old clothes. He looked like an old man. And his wife took their dog, it was a German, no, it was a husky, it was a husky dog, took the dog for a walk. He came the opposite way, so they came toward each other. And all he did was walk past. The dog stopped, turned around and looked at him and started getting excited because the dog recognized his undercover owner. Do you recognize who Jesus is? Are you one of his own? Can you call him Savior and Lord? Can you call him your King? Are you born again into his family? Are you one of his children? Or do you wish you were? Have you gone to church for years but have never actually really repented of your sin and trusted Christ and Christ only as your Savior? Listen, it's the Christmas season. Can you think of a better time to give your heart to the Lord? Now is the time. If you have not yet come before Almighty God, whose name is Jesus, and admitted to Him what He already knows about you, that there's sin in your life, and that sin has effectively cut off every chance you have to get to heaven. And apart from His mercy and forgiveness, you cannot go to heaven. The way you get His mercy and forgiveness is to repent of your sin and to ask Jesus to save you, to come into your heart and be your Savior. And now would be the perfect time to do it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And I'm going to have a word of prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.